1: Slow Burn Media and Bill Huffman present this week's episode of My Passion Case with true crime author and podcaster James Renner.
2: It is being billed as a massive announcement in the local law enforcement community. Tomorrow, U.S. Marshals plan to release the true identity of Joseph Newton Chandler III, a man who killed himself in Eastlake in 2002, went by that name, but it was not his name. We are told he played some role in the case being called one of Ohio's biggest and most complex. It's
0: tomorrow at 1 o'clock, WKYC.com will carry the announcement live.
1: A big thank you to James Renner for coming into the studio and speaking some truth about Joseph Newton Chandler. And thank you guys for tuning in to this week's episode of My Passion Case. I would also like to thank all the podcasters and guests who have taken time out of their busy schedules To help build the show into what it has become. As a reminder, I do drop new episodes of My Passion Case every Monday and Who Killed every Friday, and that is wherever you get your favorite shows. And for the second year in a row, I will be representing Who Killed, Who Killed Amy Maholovic, and My Passion Case on Podcast Row at CrimeCon 2020 in Orlando, May 1st through the 3rd. It's definitely a bucket list item for any true crime fan. And if you guys want to save money on your ticket, I actually have a promo code for you, and that is Amy2020. And if you guys enjoyed this podcast, you can help support independent journalism as well as the show by clicking on the donate button on the left-hand side of slowburnmedia.com. That is slow minus W. As well as you can contribute to the show via the Venmo app with my username at bill-huffman-3 Again, I will provide a note in the show notes. Every contribution does help keep these podcasts running. If you, again, enjoy the show, leaving a five-star review will also help keep these cases in the spotlight. I, again, will be putting new information on Twitter, and you can follow me at billhuffman3 and, again, thank you guys so much for listening this week. And until next time, as always, be safe. This week I am lucky enough to be joined on my passion case with true crime author James Renner. And welcome to my passion case, James.
2: Hey, hey, uh, it's it's your pleasure. It, uh, <laughs> thanks for no, Thanks for having me on, Bill. Um, This is cool. Uh, I I like the idea for the new podcast. Um, It's uh, you know, I think every reporter has their their case that uh, they're obsessed with. They're passionate about maybe a couple.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely think that the idea behind the series was basically to get into the minds of the people that do the investigations or do the podcasts, or do the documentaries or anything along those lines. Because, like you said, everybody does have a case that they're passionate about. Mm-hmm. So this is where I ask you: What is the case that you are the most passionate about at this present moment? Because I know that you cover a lot.
2: Uh, <laughs> I think the the case that I that I, I still think about a lot because just because of the weirdness of it is the unsolved. Well, now it's solved. Suicide of one Joseph newton chandler the third
1: so joseph newton chandler now give me a little bit of background on him and where he was actually from i mean like where he died Let's Okay. start there
2: so here's the setup it takes place in east lake uh, su- uh suburb on the east side of cleveland a workaday suburb in uh 2002 this was the summer i think his body was discovered uh J- july 30th he was this um you know, so this this old man was known as Joseph Newton Chandler, and he lived in this efficiency efficiency apartment uh, over there in East Lake. And when when you say efficiency, I'm talking like there's like one, there were like two rooms: one big room that was like uh, living room slash kitchen, um, and then the bedroom. And uh, he had very little in the way of furniture and things in the, the apartment. He had in his bedroom, you know, you walk in, you look in the closet and there's like one, one change of clothes. Like this is a guy that was kind of known around that complex as like a hermit. He was a shut-in. He would only come out of that apartment... Um, to, like, go to the grocery store and, and uh, basic necessities. And uh, some of them knew that before he retired, he had worked as, um uh, I believe, an electrical engineer for a company called Lubrizol. And he was real good at making, like, little gadgets. He had made this uh, remote for a fire station or something where when their alarm went off, it would trigger the the garage, and he... If you talk to his coworkers at Lubers, he's kind of a weird dude. He rigged up this kind of like walk uh, walkman where he would he would sit and listen to static all day. Like he had the static that he they, that he would listen to on these headphones. Anyways, long story short, so the setup is that uh, one day in the summer of 2002, this old man who seemingly had no friends um, and didn't really have any enemies committed suicide. And he did so by standing in front of his mirror in his little bathroom, and he put a gun to his head. But before he did this, he closed his blinds, locked his door, and turned off the air conditioning. So what that did was speed up the decomposition process.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask if this, if this was winter or spring. And summer,
2: summer. Late July 2002. It was very hot, and I, I don't know... What prompted them really to search, I think it was the smell. And when police got in there, his body was so badly decomposed, they were not able to get fingerprints off the body. And when they looked for fingerprints in the apartment, they found that the entire apartment had been scrubbed down. There were no fingerprints in the apartment.
1: Like wipe down like what we see in the movies, like that type of thing?
2: It appears that way, yeah. there were. They did find, I believe, a partial print behind like on the porcelain behind the toilet, as if he had lifted. And maybe that was a place he forgot to wipe down. But it wasn't enough to identify him. So, you know, at this point, they know him as Joseph Newton Chandler. The police look into his bank accounts and personal finances and find out that he has like $82,000 sitting in a bank. And here he is living uh, as meager an existence as you can get. Uh, Why did he commit suicide? Well, they found he had an appointment at the hospital, Uh, not long before the suicide, where he was diagnosed with cancer. Uh, But it was kind of treatable cancer, but he opted not to be treated, I guess. And uh, finally, the police, they find a guy that used to work with him at Lubrizol, who is the closest thing you could call a friend to this guy, I guess. And uh, they make him executor of his estate. And what this guy does is hire a private investigator. The court Actually, the, the, the court, this estate court and this guy hire a private investigator named Mike Lewis. Now, Mike Lewis is a, a friend of mine. We, we go way back. He's a he's a neat guy. And, uh, in fact, he's on the board of directors for the Porchlight Project, which is this nonprofit I've started up um, where we raise money t- for new DNA tests for cold cases here in North, o- North Ohio. Um, so, uh, anyways, Mike Lewis caught the case, and uh, he went and found Joseph Newton Chandler's birth certificate. And then use that to find the names of Joseph Newton Chandler's parents and then backtrack that to siblings. Long story, fairly shorter, is um, they call up Joseph Newton Chandler's sister and they're like, hey, we got some we got some bad news. Um, Your brother committed suicide here in Eastlake. And she's like, "Uh, that's impossible because my brother died in uh, 1945. And that's when this case really got interesting because what they discovered was this old man who had committed suicide in Eastlake in 2002 had been living under a fake name in and around Cleveland for 30 years. So who was this guy, right?
1: So they didn't actually have any idea who he was until they tried to contact the next of kin and then realized that it was a false identity.
2: Right, right. Everybody thought he was Joseph Newton Chandler until they found his sister and she's like, nope. My brother died in this. It was actually a really tragic story where the family. It was right before Christmas, and they were traveling. They had presents in the car, and a truck coming towards them went left of center in the middle of the night, and head-on collision. The kid died in the crash. So whoever this guy was in Eastlake that was calling him Joseph himself, Joseph Newton Chandler, somehow knew about this and used that kid's you know name to apply for a social security card and and create this fake identity for himself in, uh, I, I think in the late seventies, like around 1978.
1: Is this one of those things where the lack of, I guess, technology and basically record keeping allowed people to basically, cause I, I I've heard before where people have gone to graveyards and they mm-hmm. find a person that was killed at a certain year and then right. they steal that person's identity.
2: Yeah, you try to look for um, you know, people that were born or, you know the same year you were born or right around there, so they're the, the same approximate age, and specifically looking for children who died because what you're hoping to find is somebody that never applied for their social security number and didn't really have much ID. So then that, that was the old way of, of claiming somebody else's um, identity and in a clean way, right? Uh, So that nobody, nobody suspected anything, whether this guy did it himself or whether he hired, you know, there people in the know, you know, mafia
1: vacuum cleaner guy from Breaking Bad. Right,
2: right. (laughs) I hear you clean houses. Um, or paint houses, paint houses, I hear your paint houses. However he did it, I, I think he originally obtained that identification and they were able to track it down to where the Social Security card was issued to a small town in South Dakota in like the late 70s. So, But that's kind of where the, the trail went cold for many years. And I, you know, I've gotten to know this guy, Pete Elliott, who is the, um, the head of the U.S. Marshals Service here in Cleveland. You know, Pete Elliott's this really neat guy, uh, kind of old school, you know, uh, he he reminds me, reminds me of those, um, you know, have-gun-will-travel old school, like, deputy, like, lawman, gunslinger. His dad, uh, also Pete Elliott, Pete Elliott Sr., was U.S. Marshal here in Cleveland before him, so it's this legacy thing. But every once in a while, Pete Elliott will reach out to me, and and he's like, hey, um, we're looking for this fugitive. Can you get a little information up on Reddit? Because they know I'm I'm proficient with these Reddit sub-communities where they discuss unsolved murders. And so it's fun, you know, to help out the marshals every once in a while and get some information out there and, and kick up some new leads.
1: Yeah, it's always good to be involved, especially if you feel like you're producing something yeah. positive.
2: So Pete came to me a few years ago and uh, and said, hey, uh, this Joseph Newton Chandler case that I, that I was aware of and and I think he knew that I liked. He's like, hey, I got some new information. Why don't you come up to the office? So I went up there, and uh, he had laid out on the desk a whole bunch of stuff that they had gotten from Chandler's apartment, and I took a bunch of pictures of it, and You know, some of them were these weird little electronic gadgets that he that he had made. Other stuff was, um, you know, I remember there was this um, sticker from a Peanuts cartoon that was issued in the late 70s. And they thought that this must have some sort of sentimental value to him. And what 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 was that all about? So but while I was there, he also told me some some interesting stories that they had found on Chandler. Um, One of them was in 1989. um, This would be, I think, late fall or early fall of 1989, Chandler went to a hospital on the east side of Cleveland, one of the suburbs out there, and uh, they were able to find this old hospital record. And the reason he went to this hospital was because he he, uh, had suffered severe lacerations on his penis. And like it was all apparently cut up. And and he went to the emergency room, and he's and they're like, "What the hell happened to you?" What he told the nurse at the time was that he uh, <laughs> was uh, having sex with a vacuum cleaner, and uh, things got out of hand, but. Uh, you know. I was just
1: joking about the vacuum cleaner earlier. I, that was a joke. I didn't realize he actually had a connection to a vacuum. So that
2: is a complete coincidence. But you know, who knows if that's the truth? Whatever, something happened where, like, his his uh, his penis got all cut up. And so that led the U.S. Marshals to believe maybe what we're dealing with here is some sort of sexual deviant who is running from some crime. And he had this compulsion to to do something again in in the fall of 89. So that kind of put a new new light on it. And Pete Elliott was very convinced uh, that—and the reason the Marshals were involved was this guy went to such great lengths to hide his true identity that they figured the only thing he could be running from— is is a crime of of some great magnitude. So what is he running from?
1: Well, I mean, there's no statute of limitations on murder, so right. it has to be something along those lines.
2: It almost has to be murder, because even by then, the statute of limitations on rape would have run out. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the the thought is this got to be murder. So things went cold again for a little while until Pete Elliott heard about this new forensic genetic genealogy technique. And right away, he's like, oh, you know, I wonder if, you know, this could help with the the Chandler case. So he came in contact with Colleen Fitzpatrick and Margaret Press of uh, the DNA Doe Project. And they had had some success identifying a woman named Lori Erica Ruff, which is a very kind of similar case. A woman in the Pacific Northwest committed suicide, and then her husband discovered she had been living under a fake name for like 20 years. And that was an interesting case because what Colleen and her genealogists were able to do was they had the daughter's DNA. So this this woman who was living under a fake name had had a daughter with her husband, but they didn't have the woman's DNA who killed herself. So what they were able to do was take the daughter's DNA and the father's DNA, and then they filtered out all the markers from the father's DNA from the daughter's, and what they were left were markers that had to come from this mystery woman. And in that way, they were able to identify her real name. So Chandler's similar in some ways, right? So, but we don't have fingerprints. We don't have, well, what do we have in the case? Actually, we got lucky. And uh, when uh, this guy was diagnosed with cancer, when he went to the hospital that time, they took a tissue sample and they kept it. So they had excellent DNA to work with. And they gave it to the genetic genealogist and Colleen and Margaret's crew, and they Used what's called the YSTR, uh, which is the, some of the genetic information from um, your Y chromosome, which passes from father to to their children uh, or their sons, right? Because only males have the, the Y DNA <clears throat> because the Y chromosome. So they took the information from that and went on the site called GEDmatch. Now, what else passes from father to son like YSTRs? Last names, right? Mm-hmm. Surnames. So... If you have a really good YSTR uh, data, you plug it into GEDmatch. Sometimes you're lucky enough to, to figure out what this person's last name was. By doing that, they were able to determine that this guy's last name was probably something like Nicholson or Nichols. And they released that information. They said, hey, does anybody, does this make sense to anybody? And uh, further testing and, and uh, tips led them to... The identity of of this man. Now, uh, I want to set this up because this is kind of a weird little coincidence in in my life. So uh, this was right when the forensic, the genetic genealogies news was breaking. This was right after they got the Golden State Killer, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, so... It was a big deal, and nobody had written a long-form article on this yet. So um, I saw this as an opportunity. I'm like, uh, this is amazing. It's going to change everything. It's the best new tool we have since we discovered what we can do with fingerprints, right?
1: I remember you telling me about this article that you were working on.
2: Yeah. So um, I called up Colleen Fitzpatrick, Mm -hmm. and I said, I'm like, I'm going to fly out to Southern California just to sit down with you because I'm so fascinated by what you do. So we set up a time to meet, and I booked my flight. And it's the day before the flight. And, you know, I go non-refundable because I'm crazy like that. And she calls me up. She's like, I can't meet with you tomorrow. And I'm like, "What? why can't you – I can't change my plans now. She's like, well
1: – Guess I'm going to California.
2: Yeah. Um, she's she's like, well, I, I can't tell you why, but I can't meet with you. And I'm like, well, that really sucks. So uh, there's nothing I can do to change that. So um, I, I decide to go out there for other meetings. And keep the flight. A couple hours later, Pete Elliott calls me. And he's like, uh, hey, what are you doing tomorrow? And I'm like, actually, I'm I'm uh, flying out to Southern California. I was supposed to meet um, Colleen Fitzpatrick, and now she can get with me. I don't know what's going on. He's like, well, it might be best to not go on that trip and stay here in Cleveland. And I'm like, why? What's going on? And I, I thought that he might have a break in the Amy Mahalovic case. I yeah. thought that might be what he was talking about. I didn't put it all together. So I'm on this flight and I land in uh, LA. So you ended up going? I ended up going. I there was other there's other business I had to sure. to do out sure, there. Sure, 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 sure. So I land and when I land I turn on my phone off air, airline mode and all of a sudden all these texts come in and it's every you know, all the reporters I know from Cleveland saying, Hey, you gotta get to this press conference and And the reason Colleen couldn't meet with me is because she had flown to Cleveland, where I live, to do this press conference with Pete Elliott because they had solved the Joseph Newton Chandler case.
1: Why the hell do you always end up in these situations? (laughs) I mean, seriously, (laughs) you are just prone to like, you know, you maybe you should pull a Costanza and just kind (laughs) of do the opposite of what James Renner would do. Like maybe I'm I'm going to get on that plane, (laughs) but maybe you. Don't get on that plane, and right. you end up solving
2: the case. Right, I think it, something needs to <laughs> to change. <laughs> it's the worst luck. So here's how they did it. That you know they weren't far off with that. You know they they were thinking uh, Nicholson or or variations of that. Turns out this guy's real name was Robert Ivan Nichols, and uh, he had. They were able to. You know, I, I think once they once Colleen gave them that name, um, there were a couple ways that they they figured out. It was probably Robert Ivan Nichols. And Robert Ivan Nichols, by the way, I, I think was from Michigan. So he wasn't far from home here in Ohio. Uh, he lived, he grew up with uh, three brothers, uh, I think, working class family. He had gotten married and had uh, a couple kids of his own. So Colleen and her team were looking over the information that was coming in. And one of the things they looked at was. You know, so this guy that was calling him Joseph, himself Joseph Newton Chandler, uh, when he moved into the efficiency in Eastlake, he filled out, you know, a resident form. And one of the questions was, list your previous address. And he wrote this uh, address. And, you know, it's this, 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 uh, Columbus, Ohio. Right away, when Pete Elliott got involved, they tracked that address down and found out that that address in Columbus doesn't exist. It's made up. But liars, um, I, I think, Eliot said something to the effect of they always lie close to home or, you know, they there's always some truth in the lie. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, when Colleen's team of genealogists went through all that information, they one of them found um, this family uh, Nichols and there was an address in Michigan. Now, the, the street number and the street name were the same uh, for that address, either in Michigan or New York. Now, I, I can't remember which. And it matched the address in Columbus. So the address was right. He had just changed the city. Um, so they're like, wow, this is probably our guy. And Pete Elliott was so sure he flew down to meet with uh, Robert Ivan Nichols' brother who lived in Southern Ohio. And as soon as he said, as soon as he answered the door, he knew he had the right guy because this guy looked so much like the guy that was up here calling himself Joseph Chandler. So they have this announcement. They say, hey, we figured out Part of the mystery, right? Because now we know who this guy was. He was Robert Ivan Nichols, but we don't know what he was running from still. And so we we learn a little bit about Robert Nichols uh, and why he, but not much about why he wanted to disappear. He was a veteran of World War II. He served on a on a big ship, and uh, it got hit by the Japanese. Okay, I think he was wounded during that incident. And when he returned home. He burned his clothing. I think it was World War II, unless it was uh, um, Korea. Let me look that up real quick.
0: I'm an American vigilante. I have a question for you. What would you do if someone you cared about was abducted, taken from you? Would you call me? Would you care about how I got them back? (sighs) Download American Vigilante now.
1: (sighs) I mean, as far as Chandler goes, I mean, I think the biggest thing that I find interesting is that you can be in this world still anonymous. Right. Like, um, how
2: hard is that to pull off now?
1: It, well, I mean, I think he fell in the right into the perfect like little seam where it was that time and that place where he could pull it off. But, I mean, think about how many things that this has run speculation on as far as what he may have been running from. And you had mentioned that a service member...
2: Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. He was uh, okay. So here it is. He he was um, that uh, address was actually New Albany, Indiana, and Robert Nichols had served on the USS Aaron Ward, and yes, it was World War II, uh, bombed by the Japanese in forty-five off Okinawa. Um, he actually was awarded the Purple Heart, but when he came home, he burned his uniforms. And uh, now here's where it gets interesting. In nineteen sixty-four, Nichols just Disappears. Uh, he leaves his wife and kids, files for divorce, moves to Dearborn, Michigan. Uh, he tells his parents he's got a job, and then tells them he's moving to Richmond, California. Long story short, he shows up in Napa, California, around nineteen sixty-five. Interesting and, timing, right? Um, and and he and his family never hears from him again. Now, any true crime fan will know Napa, California, nineteen sixty-five. That area—that's the Zodiac. Hmm, and we know that you know Robert Nichols is is very good with gadgets and you know uh, these these little games and just eccentric. So I you know I kind of like the, the the theory that uh, you know I think he's a good suspect for the Zodiac.
1: I mean, he would have been able to produce the you know the ciphers and this, the right and the coded technology. You know that type of that aspect of uh, what the Zodiac was. Right, you know, communicating with the police, or not the police, but with the newspapers.
2: Right, and then uh, you know those those crimes stop when he around the time he moves to to Ohio.
1: Okay, so he's
2: yeah, he's he. So he's in the area when the the Zodiac uh, killings are taking place, and and if you know if ever there's a reason to run away and become somebody new. It's because the police are hot on your tail for the the Zodiac case. So that's one theory. I don't know how. I'm not saying he's the Zodiac. I personally, I think it's just a really cool uh, explanation for it and the timing fits and the location fits. Um, so I think it's I think it's any theory. But the theories about who, you know, what this guy was up to, you know, go all over the place. And, you know, some people just think, you know, what we're dealing with here is a guy that Went through a, you know, the hell of war, um, got injured, and just became disillusioned with society and life, and and responsibilities of a father and husband, and uh, and took off.
1: Don Draper style. Right, right.
2: Uh, but then you've got the stuff like what you know. He shows up at a hospital because his penis is all cut up. Um, uh, why is his penis all cut up? Right. And there are these stories that come out about Robert Nichols before he became Joseph Newton Chandler. Um, I I heard the story about there was a birthday party um, at his house. I don't know if it was from one for one of his kids or what. And he was getting impatient because, you know, he wanted to cut the cake and serve it. And, you know, he seems strikes me as a guy with maybe some OCD issues. And, you know, he just walks over to the cake and puts his hand in it and takes out a big scoop and starts, starts eating the cake in front of everybody.
1: Not necessarily the most socially right.
2: person or, or, you know, mentally, you know, competent or, or whatever. Um, he was just a, a, weird guy. And when he was working at Lubrizol here in Cleveland, this, uh, you know, that, that guy that became executor of his estate, a guy named Mike, um, said that every once in a while he'd get real paranoid like, and say, and he would say, he's like, they're getting close to me. They're, they're getting close. And then he would disappear for a week or two. Now and, he
1: never emphasized who.
2: Or what, right, yeah. And then he would show up again like nothing happened. Um, one time he, he, he wanted to buy some L.L. Bean clothing.
1: Did anybody ask him about that, like when he would reappear? He would,
2: he would think. I think, I'm sure, but I think he came up with, uh, you know, it was just, something I had to deal with. Um, there's the story about how he wanted some L.L. Bean clothing and decided to, on a whim, drive up to Maine, to the the headquarters, and he got there. Oh, jeez. Um, and uh, so he drives up to the headquarters and he gets there and there's not a an open space in the parking lot. So he, instead of waiting, just turns around and drives all the way from Maine back to Ohio. He's like, well, they didn't have a space for me. So it's a weird dude, weird crime, and we still don't know exactly why he became Joseph Newton Chandler.
1: And in, in all reality, he's not actually committed a crime that we know of,
2: right? That we know of, which is, I think, why it's kind of, kind of fallen away. Um, you know, because I, I think a lot of people they're like, oh, the mystery solved. We know who he was. Well, that's only half of it. I think he was running from something. The marshals think he was running from something. We just don't know what that is yet.
1: I mean, it doesn't take a crime, true crime aficionado to look at this case and go, well, he has to have been running from something because nobody goes to that extent to change their identity, take on a whole new persona.
2: If he just wanted to get away from his wife and kids, you know, he, he he could do that.
1: It was the 70s. Right. He could have just
2: left. I'm going out for a pack of cigarettes. I'll be right back. You yeah, know?
1: Exactly. I mean, this isn't like, you know, people are going to track you down and make you pay child support in the 1970s. I mean, as much as they may have, it wasn't as simple as it is today where you can track somebody down. The technology just wasn't there.
2: I think there's an unsolved murder, at least one out there, that that this guy's responsible for. Um So maybe maybe a a true crime sleuth can go back through where he was at those times to figure out, you know, maybe there's there's a case out there that matches up with where he was at the time, other than the Zodiac. You know, I was so fascinated by this case. I remember hearing about it when I was a reporter with scene and we didn't know who he was at the time. And I thought, wow, what a cool mystery. You know, who was this guy? And And I thought, well, maybe I could write a book, you know, a novel about this and, but what would be the weirdest explanation for who that guy is? and I thought, well, well what wouldn't it be interesting to write a book and And the answer is that 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 guy is me, but he had come back from the future, like it was me as an old man who had come back, and I was investigating my own suicide slash you know murder or whatever, and so that that's that nugget that seed of the story became my my first novel the man from primrose lane and uh which is about a a reporter from a an alternative weekly from cleveland who investigates this murder that it turns out to be himself wow
1: <laughs> 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 i mean the whole i mean he seems like somebody from a different time
2: oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. I'm, I, not I'm not saying uh, i'm not we're not we're not
1: we're not we're not saying that that's not what we're saying. It I'm was just, aliens. <laughs> well, that's exactly what we're saying. I watched the Time Life videos from the <laughs> 1980s. Those were I the best. remember. Those were scary. I, I couldn't sleep at night. Half, but I mean, you would see this on like this. Seems like something from Unsolved Mysteries. Oh yeah,
2: this was. I and
1: I. This was primed for an episode of for sure. Unsolved Mysteries.
2: I think you know we're we're still gonna. It's still a good mystery. Because we don't have that other piece, like what he was running from. So, I, you know, when Unsolved Mysteries comes back, I hear they're rebooting. This would be an excellent case for that.
1: Yeah, I definitely think that all these cases where you have people that are masking their identity oh, I love and those. that had yeah. that ability to do so because of the time.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, I think we. I, I love cases like that. I think it's partly because we all have. I think we all have that fantasy of just you know at, at some point in your adult life, you're like, "Oh man, I, you know this is just a slog. I've got all these responsibilities, I've got these bills, you know, um, maybe I'll just start maybe I'll just start driving, driving west and see how far I can get, and I think some people still do it yeah i definitely think
1: that that was a thing for sure i mean back in the day i mean my gosh like you said go out for a pack of cigarettes and they don't Mm -hmm. they don't come back i mean that's just a cliche but it's it's a cliche for a reason right
2: there are a bunch more stories like this uh you know i I happen to be researching it right now um for my podcast which i'm going to plug the philosophy of crime um (laughs) i'm doing this episode on on if it's possible to to Still, leave your life and and disappear for good. And uh, another case like this that's kind of interesting is uh, Olivia. You know, Olivia Olivia Newton John.
1: Absolutely. From who, Sandy from Greece. I mean, who doesn't?
2: Her. She had a boyfriend uh, who disappeared without a trace after a fishing expedition. Um, I think back in like uh, like fifteen years ago now, or something like that. Um, fairly recent, but Olivia Newton John's boyfriend disappears. And Dateline did a, an episode where these private investigators supposedly tracked him down and he's just chilling in a bar in Mexico with his new girlfriend. Um, and he, he did it to avoid um, like credit card debt and uh, his wife had sued him for child support. So...
1: I was thinking Natalie Wood type thing, but... <laughs> yeah,
2: and and uh, at, at first, you know, he was it was ruled um, drowning. Like he had like the Coast Guard investigated and they're like, oh, this guy fell off the boat during the fishing trip and he's he's drowned. We just will never find the body. Um, but, you know, people were suspicious uh, because it was a small boat and nobody heard him fall over and he had this debt. And so they started looking into it and uh, they're like, no, this, this guy's alive. He's, you know, he's been down here in Mexico. And so that's a, that's a strange one. But, uh, and only, only, we only know about it because it's so high profile.
1: Well, I think there's another one too, where the guy faked like he faked a plane crash or something in Florida and Oh yeah, I forgot about that. And that, that, one. that he yeah. was like, I think a on the run from embezzling money from a bank or some business in
2: Indiana right. and I think he was eventually brought to justice. But people there are rumors that Ken Lay You know, remember the Enron scandal?
1: I have listened so... I have actually listened to The Conspiracy of Fools as well as The Smartest Men in the Room and Mm. seen the documentary all within, like, the last... I mean, I've seen The Smartest Men in the Room a bunch of times, but... The book, um, "The Smartest Man in the Room," is fabulous. So is "Conspiracy of Fools," mm. and yeah, you do really wonder what happened. I mean, that he guy... was
2: about to go to prison for uh, ever, p- the rest of his life, right? And then he dies of a heart attack about a week before the sentencing. And this is a funny business about the autopsy—they um, cremated his body and all this stuff—and then there, people started. There were these sightings in these Caribbean islands. That Ken Lay was just chilling on the the beach down there, and I totally like if anybody could pull it off, it's a rich it's a rich dude like that. Um, I don't know, you know, maybe it's just a wishful thinking or conspiracy, but yeah, there, you know, can you know are people still doing this? Can they do this? You know.
1: I think it's, it kind of goes back to what you were saying before about the idea of being able to leave your life behind and troubles behind. And I mean, if if we're going to talk about the Enron, Ken Lay and, you know, Skilling and all those guys, I mean, yeah, you're right. If anybody had the ability, it would have been
2: one of those guys, but. Maybe there's this island in the Caribbean that if you know the right people, you, you can get down there and, and like. Would I'd love to go to this island and like.
1: I know the landlord. His name was Jeffrey Epstein. Right, right.
2: <laughs> well, I was, I was getting there. Yeah, you walk on this island and and there's like Elvis Presley hanging out, singing some tunes, and Jim Morrison and Tupac and all these people. We want to still be alive. Um, and 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 change their name? Uh, wouldn't that be uh? Wouldn't that be great? Yeah, I think they made a show in the seventies called
1: Fantasy Island. Zipline, <laughs> the the zipline. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, absolutely. The the Chandler case is so fascinating. And living in Cleveland, obviously, we're close to the situation. But I think even nationally, it was an interesting case because of the fact that we don't know what it was that he was running from and what he could actually be involved with. I mean, it could be anything from A to Z, and I'm not using Z as the Zodiac just for fun, but...
2: You know, just talking about this, I, I guess it definitely is my passion case because, you know, it's been a while since I've talked through this case, and every time I do, I get excited, and I'm like, well, I mean, maybe there's a book here. Maybe there's a, you know, since it's halfway done anyways, you know... Maybe there's a book where we try to figure out, you know, what he was running from and get some answers there. But I don't know. I don't know. It's uh, it's definitely uh, it's definitely my one of my favorite cases.
1: If you had to take a wild stab at it, no pun intended, what do you think he's running from?
2: Um, It's probably something sexually related. So either a violent sexual assault, rape or um, rape and murder. Uh, you know, because of his, his you know, whatever he was up to that sent him to the hospital. That might have been another attack that he was able to get away from.
1: Yeah, I mean, we've all heard of incidences where uh, mm. women fight back with right. aggression if they're I mean, being forced upon.
2: Maybe somebody bit him.
1: Exactly, where
2: I was going with that. Sure.
1: So, I mean, it's a possibility. And I think, not to well in 1989, but I'm about to do an episode on Who Killed about the new Bedford Highway Killer, mm. and that was 88 to 89, or it all occurred in 88, but man, what a
2: yeah. shitty year. Right, right, yeah. I mean, there are people that wonder if, if um, he was involved with Amy Mihaljevic. I personally don't think so, um, but just given the timing that he ended up in the hospital, you know, it it was the same year as Amy was abducted, and not far away. Um, it's a it's a it's a stretch, but uh, people have wondered about that too. Although I don't think so.
1: Yeah, and I would definitely assume that you would be the first person to reach out to in regards to that situation. <laughs> if
2: if I've it heard was that a couple times, if
1: it was the uh, if it was connected to that case at all, I just don't see it being a reason why. Yeah, I mean, basically. The way I feel about the case is I think we're at a point where we don't know anymore. Right. And we're kind of at a speculation point. And I hope maybe with all the technology and DNA and the improvements in DNA technology that they'll maybe be able to tie him to something.
2: Yeah, I think, you know, it's going to be awareness of these news stories and uh, podcasts about him. You know, I think there's some family of a victim out there somewhere that, that have, has been waiting for closure, and they're going to hear that this guy was in Napa or New Albany or or Ohio, um, and it'll click. They're like, oh, wait a second. Maybe he's responsible for what happened to my sister or, you know, my, my aunt or something like that. And those people, you know, when they come forward to the U.S. Marshals, or the police um, will be the person who solves it. I think.
1: Well, yeah, I definitely think it's going to be have to be solved through DNA or uh, just somebody coming forward that says that's my so and so or right. he's the person that assaulted me. But, um, but James, I know that you've got many many things on your plate <laughs> as you always do, being I, the fabulous true crime author and true every crime podcast. Hey, you know. Uh, <laughs> You're the host of Philosophy of Crime. You are a man of many, many uh, books. So
2: I'm trying to get some plugs. Yeah, I'm trying. I'm still doing this tour called Confessions of a True Crime Addict. I'm hoping to get out to New England uh, later in 2020. Um, You know, uh, Maine, Boston, Vermont, New Hampshire. Um, so yeah, if you live in those areas, go to jamesrenner.com to find out when and where. Um, and, uh, yeah, I've got some books out there if you like mysteries. Um, so check them out
1: yeah I think you can find all those on Amazon as well, so uh definitely check out all of james stuff. He's uh definitely a staple here in the city of Cleveland and has made a quite a presence for himself in the national scene as Thanks. far as true crime goes. so I am very appreciative to have yeah. you on my passion case this Anytime. week yes, and uh, Good i know luck with th- it. I know that we have had you on uh my on my other podcast uh, who killed Amy Maholovic a million times so (laughs) i uh appreciate all your time and your uh just willingness to come to the studio talk and discuss the cases that you find uh the most interesting so i know you've got uh things to do so uh i appreciate it james
2: yeah anytime give me a call
1: and uh i will uh talk to you soon all right see ya take care a big thank you to James Renner for coming into the studio and speaking some truth about Joseph Newton Chandler. And thank you guys for tuning in to this week's episode of My Passion Case. I would also like to thank all the podcasters and guests who have taken time out of their busy schedules to help build the show into what it has become. As a reminder, I do drop new episodes of My Passion Case every Monday and Who Killed every Friday. And that is wherever you get your favorite shows. And for the second year in a row, I will be representing Who Killed, Who Killed Amy Mahalovic, and My Passion Case on Podcast Row at CrimeCon 2020 in Orlando, May 1st through the 3rd. It's definitely a bucket list item for any true crime fan. And if you guys want to save money on your ticket, I actually have a promo code for you, and that is Amy2020. And if you guys enjoyed this podcast, you can help support independent journalism as well as the show by clicking on the Donate button on the left-hand side of slowburnmedia.com. That is slow minus the W. As well as you can contribute to the show via the Venmo app with my username at bill-huffman-3. Again, I will provide a note in the show notes. Every contribution does help keep these podcasts running. If you, again, enjoy the show, leaving a five-star review will also help keep these cases in the spotlight. I, again, will be putting new information on Twitter, and you can follow me at BillHuffman3. And, again, thank you guys so much for listening this
0: week, and until next time, as always, be safe. The DNA profile from Chandler was sent to the lab in Cuyahoga County. Dr. Fitzpatrick and Press was sent to them for comparison in Y-DNA genetic databases. Dr. Fitzpatrick and Press were able to determine that Chandler's real last name was Nicholas or a variation of Nicholas. This was the first investigation in Marshal Service history that we utilized forensic genealogy. In early 2018, led by Dr. Identifiers International, led by Dr. Colleen Fitzpatrick and Dr. Margaret Press, along with a team of investigators, were able to locate a Robert Ivan Nichols from New Albany, Indiana. If you get it, board number four? Who had similarities to Chandler. We then began an investigation to find relatives and find other information on Nichols. In March of 2018, the Marshall Service located a son of Nichols who resided in Ohio. We obtained DNA from him, which we then provided to the Caldwell County Medical Examiner's Office, who originally had the d- DNA of Chandler. That DNA sample, from the Nichols' son positively matched with the DNA of the person calling himself Joseph Newton Chandler III. The the son stated to us that his last contact with his father was in 1965 when he received a letter from him, from his father postmarked from Napa, California. We learned that Nichols was in the United States Navy World War II originally stationed in San Francisco, and served on the USS Aaron Ward, which was bombed by the Japanese on May 3rd of 1945. Nichols was injured and later received the Purple Heart. Nichols came back from the war and burned his uniforms, according to family members. Can you get board number five, please? Handwritten letters, postmarks, and documentation that we received shows that Nichols resided in Dearborn, Michigan in 1964, then settled in San Francisco and Richmond, Richmond, California areas in 1965 and possibly the Los Angeles area. He was reported missing in 1965 by his parents and his family and numerous attempts by California authorities and Indiana authorities and authorities all over the US failed to locate him and were unsuccessful. You can get the next board, please. Sorry about all the boards, this thing's just really hard to explain at some point, so. The family never heard from Nichols again after 1965. Now, the first part, the first part of this mystery of who Joseph Newton Chandler is, has now been solved. But now we need the public's help to determine the why. There, ha- there is a reason he went missing in 1965 and assumed the name of a deceased eight-year-old boy in 1978 and went hiding for so, so many years. There is a reason he never again contacted his family, left $82,000 in a bank account, without leaving it to his own son who resided in our state. Robert Ivan Nichols never wanted to be found throughout his lifetime, even into his death. 24 hours ago, I found out the person that I'd been dating and seeing for the last six months. As a con man. That is my sister, Emma.
1: It's not just about the stories, but also the science and psychology behind them. So if you're interested in true crime or mental health, I'd encourage you to give my show a listen wherever you get podcasts.